sit back and don't go to sleep. Listen to today's longish story. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and without her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people in Judah and given them food. And so she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back. Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each one of you, in the house of your husband. And then she kissed them, and they wept out loud. And they said, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said again, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, go your way. I am too old to have a husband. And even if I thought for one second there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. And then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And so she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return with your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn 
back from you? Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. May God bless the reading and the hearing of those words. I'm so glad the lectionary brought this text to us on this particular Sunday for many reasons, but one is simply that it invites us to consider the important place and value of women in the Bible and women in our faith story. And so with that in mind, I started to think about a dear old friend, Diana Tyler, who was recently diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Diana and I have been friends for 35 years. I met her when I was 25 and I had just landed in my first church role in Westchester County. She and her first husband, Dean, invited me to live with them while I looked for my own place. They couldn't have possibly been kinder. They made me feel at home. Early in her marriage to Dean, they lost a son named Raymond to cancer. Ten years later, they would lose another son, Ross in a tragic car accident. Ross had come home from college and lost control of his car on a wet road. That funeral was excruciatingly painful, the loss seemingly unbearable. A year later, Diana and Dean would split as often happens when couples lose a child. As her pastor and friend, I stayed close to Diana. We would walk and we would sometimes talk. And on those walks, I would ask her how she was doing. She was kind of sassy and direct, which I liked about Diana. So she would usually say, well, how do you think I'm doing? Then she would go on and she would tell me about her heart. And for two years, she would use the same word over and over. Bitter. I am devastatingly bitter. But she would always, 
She would always say something else. She would say, you have to keep going. You never know when a new leaf might turn. And that has always stayed with me. That very, very simple commitment to keep putting one foot in front of another, to keep walking, to keep holding out for some new leaf to turn. I think it was her way of saying, I don't feel hopeful, but I'm not giving up on hope. You never know what awaits you. Diana is kind of like Naomi in the story that we have just read. And let me say for sure that Naomi was an extraordinary, extraordinary woman. It's a family story. We know about families. It's a story about the heartache that often plays out in families. It's a story about the messiness of family life. It's a story about how grief shows up. It's a story about the choices that we get to make about whether to quit or to keep going. It's a story about resilience and steadfastness and determination. As the story goes, life in Judah, which was home, it's gone, it's gone sour. It, it's, it's gone from bad to worse. It's what some people think is going on in America. The political climate in Judah was a mess A famine has left ordinary people desperate and scared. So in the face of these challenges, Elimelech takes his wife and their two sons and they go to the land of Moab. And and that move alone tells us that things at home were bad. And no family would have gone to Moab a place distinguished by hostility and pagan worship without a good reason. So hunger must be a good reason. But in Moab, life life doesn't get any easier. Elimelech dies. The two sons marry two pagan women, Orpah and Ruth. And then for reasons the story doesn't even tell us, the two sons die. And I guess I want to stop for a minute. I I want to stop and sit with Diana and sit with Naomi. Can you imagine being a, a, a widow in that particular setting 
was the most vulnerable state of being that she could have possibly been in. Her social and her economic security had vanished. The only security left was her two sons, and they pass. And how does a mom keep going after losing both of her kids? And so we don't, we don't want to read this story too quickly. We don't want to miss the emotional devastation, the life-threatening insecurity. Because you would have understood if Naomi had curled up in a ball and quit. Given up. But that's not how the story goes. Which is part of why it's so deep and so inspiring. She somehow finds out that the famine in Judah has ended and she makes the decision to go home. May not be better, but it can't be worse. So she sets out on this arduous trek with her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And then we have the first, what I think is really tender and heartfelt exchange. Naomi stops and she says, go back. Things are going to be much, much better for you if you go back. Your moms and your mother-in-laws will take care of you. You might even find another husband, assuming that's what they wanted. Naomi kisses the girls goodbye, and they burst into tears and say, No, we're going with you. We're going with you. So I, I want to stop there and I, I want to interject something. And I think I want to say something here about the, the power of the feminine. Orpah and Ruth embody something really important about the power of the feminine. Naomi is trying to do the right thing. She's trying to do what she thinks is the kindest thing. And she is presenting to these two women the most logical choice. But those two young women, they're driven by a very, very different set of values. They're driven by the power of relationship. They say, in word and deed, we choose to stay in relationship with you. No matter what the circumstances, no matter how hard it will be. So when I think about that, 
I think that's why we come to church every Sunday. To choose a set of values that puts the primacy of relationship over everything else. Peggy introduced a book to some of us in the last months. It's called The Values of Belonging. It's written by a well-known writer called Carol Flinders. And I did choose a quote from that book, which I think is telling. There is a way of being in the world that recoils from logic, recoils from greed, and recoils from self-centeredness. This way of being favors relationships that are acutely understood in terms of trust, generosity, and mutual reciprocity. These values are the values of belonging. These values are the values that will save us and the values that will restore us. And she goes on to say that each one of us, each and every day, has a choice. Probably a choice that needs to be made over and over again because the competing values are very strong. It's a choice between a God-centered life and a self-serving life. Another author adds this perspective. Listen. (laughs) He says we have trouble with this story from Ruth because we don't understand stories about the pesky and persistent claims that people have on one another. I think we probably do, actually. But he goes on and says, we have constructed a society that acts as if it were possible to be full human beings without the attachments, bonds, and claims of everyday human relationships. Anyway, back to the story. Naomi makes one more plea. Go back, she says. Please go back. It's the rational thing for you to do. It's the safest thing for you to do. Orpah goes back. And Ruth makes one of the most beautiful statements in all of the Bible. Don't urge me to leave you. Don't urge me to leave you. Don't urge me to go back. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will be buried. There's a lot of good lessons in that story. 
the primacy of relationships being maybe at the very top of the list. But I like this one. Keep moving. Keep going. There are times to stop. There, there's times to pause. There's times to pray. There's times to find yourself again. It's important for people to grieve. It's important for people to reassess the spiritual values that are most important to you. And then it's time to keep going. Keep moving. Because you never, ever know what God has in store for you. So that little thread brings me to my closing story. It was many, many years ago, I can barely remember it, but I was studying in London. And I had already started what has been kind of a lifelong battle with depression. And I was already in the middle of my sort of long-standing relationship with alcohol. So one weekend I decided on my own that I would go to Wales to do some hiking in Snowdonia National Park. It was incredibly beautiful if you've ever been to Snowdonia. It's a very, very special place. But I was wrestling all weekend with my demons. So on Sunday morning, I decided I was going to pop into this little church. So I worshiped with about maybe 10 people and not one of them was younger than 80. And I listened to an absolutely terrible sermon Then I walked outside and wasn't feeling just really great, but I walked outside only to find out that I didn't have enough money to buy a ticket back to London. Tremendous planner. So I walked out to the road and I began to hitchhike. And I don't remember how long I stood there with my thumb out. But then this little car pulled up with this little man sitting in the driver's seat. And he said, well, where are you going? And I said, well, I got to get back to London by the end of the day. He said, well, I'm Bunky Williams. (laughs) And I am so glad to meet you on this Sunday morning. And this may just be your lucky day. And I said, well... I'm very, very glad to meet you. Thank you so much for stopping to give me a ride. And then Bunky sort of jumped into his life story. But I'm going to fast forward on his life story because at the end of this, he says to me, gosh, I just won the Welsh sweepstakes. For two million pounds. He said, my wife loves to travel. And I hate to travel. So she's out on some trip. 
and I'm out here doing random acts of kindness. And I thought, what if I hadn't gone to church? What if I hadn't walked out to the road? What if I hadn't put my thumb up? So Bunky and I spent the entire morning together. We stopped for this lovely hot breakfast. I thought maybe that was the end of my luck, but Bunky said, let's get back in the car and drive for a while. I would like to talk some more. So on we went for another couple of hours closer to London. Then Bunky got tired and dropped me off at a train station. He got out, he gave me the biggest hug, handed me 20 pounds, which was more than enough to buy the ticket back to London. And his last words to me were, I am so glad to have met you. God works in mysterious ways. So I don't know. I don't know. But on that day, Bunky was my Ruth. He gave me a real lesson in the values of belonging. He reminded me of how God works if we keep moving. And I think Naomi and Ruth are telling each one of us this morning to always stay connected to the heartbeat of life. They're telling us this morning not to quit. Don't ever quit. They're telling us that life is messy and relationships are difficult. And they're saying, stay with it. Because God continues to open doors. And even right now in this church, there are relationships that need to be restored. And relationships that need to be renewed. Don't quit. Don't quit. Stay with it. Which is to say that God uses ordinary lives, ordinary people. God uses their steadfastness and their courage to bring God's kingdom. And if you don't know how that story ends with Ruth, this is how it ends. She goes back and she marries Boaz. And she lives in Bethlehem. And they have a son whose name is Obed. And Obed will marry and he will have a son named Jesse. And Jesse will marry and he will have a son named David who is the king. And that means that Ruth, who held to the good, who was steadfast throughout her life, is the great-grandmother of David the king and the many times great-grandmother of the child born in Bethlehem whose name is Jesus. Stay with it.
Stay with it. You never know what's coming. Here's a song dedicated to Bunky Williams. (laughs) 